This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's time for football. Salah. It's Kate Cancelo off brilliant from Mo Salah. And still, Salah. Oh, sensational. Absolutely sensational. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Yes, hello and welcome to Just for Kicks. We have an absolutely packed programme today. And uh, let me introduce you to our three pundits first. We have Des Corkill. Who has not got VAR to complain about this week? Um, I've already got withdrawal symptoms, so oh. you're going to have to give me something controversial what, instead. What will we talk about? Uh, Kishnan Sundaresan. Oh, it's been a while since I've heard Des ranting about the VAR. Not, not it's good to be back. Not for me, it isn't. Um, and Asran Rosane. Unfortunately, it's a break from Liverpool and it's international to look forward to this weekend. Uh, oh, God, <laughs> Liverpool fans, they're the worst. And uh, the pack programme, we're going to be going through Euro qualifiers. We're going to look to look at the Saudi transfer deadline that just happened, uh, what did happen, what did not happen. And finally, we're going to talk a lot more about Malaysian football than we normally do. We're going to dedicate two parts to Malaysian football. I'm very excited. I'm going to learn a lot, I think, because who knows more about Malaysian football, well, in my life, than these three in front of me. So let's start off with, I, I mean, I never thought that I would ask this question, Des. Uh, what happened in the Saudi transfer deadline day? Isn't it remarkable? <laughs> well, it's what didn't happen, I think, that's the big story. Damari Gray went from Everton uh, to join uh, El Etifak, uh, so he's alongside Stephen Gerrard, Jordan Henderson and co. But Mohamed Salah stayed at Liverpool, and Liverpool were offered ridiculous amounts of money, a world record amount of money. And that is a statement about Salah, and uh, how what a good guy everybody says he is, and that kind of says, wow, yes, he's very well paid anyway. I wouldn't worry about him. Yeah. 350000 a, a week already. Yeah. Um, so he's, he doesn't have to worry, but he's staying with Liverpool. Mm. For how long? I'm not sure. But what a statement, and it proves that in some cases, money isn't the be-all and end-all. Um, and great. I'm, I'm really up for that. Mm. Azran, are you a happy man? Absolutely chuffed. Uh, as I <laughs> said, I don't think his value will depreciate next season. So, Another year where he has a go at the cha- um, at the um, at the at the title, hopefully challenge for the title at least, and let's see from there. Uh, okay, and um, uh, uh, so uh, Kishna uh, uh, Jordan Henderson, he went um, Coutinho. There's, there's a name I haven't mm. said for a long time. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know where he is now. He's at Villa. Um, oh, I think Al- Alston Villa. <laughs> <laughs> Al Villa, no, no, no Alston Villa. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of expectations on him going. I genuinely thought he would have gone because I think within the Villa team, uh, there's at least a couple of players ahead of him in the packing order in the position that he primarily likes to operate. The only good thing, I mean, I say good, but it's only for Coutinho, is the fact that Buendia is out uh, with an ACL injury, which means that if at some point uh, they need someone to occupy that, you know, that that, that role behind the striker and, and if Coutinho can justify himself, then probably he could stand a I chance. I think there was some real manipulation going on there, though, because Coutinho went to Saudi Arabia mm. for a medical reason, mm. just at the time when all the talk is coming of, of this transfer talk. And people picked it up. I think people are picking up things that shouldn't be picked up, left, right and centre. And Coutinho is is one example. The, the mainstream press in response to the social media mm. are now getting more and more and more extreme, trying to get the clickbait going more and more. And Coutinho, I think, is possibly one example of that. 
Really? Medical tourism in Saudi Arabia? I mean, Not medical. I mean, he's got an injury, but mm. um, the, there's very good doctors in the UK. There's Baston Villa on short. There's very good do- doctors in the States, but he happens to go to a Saudi um, mm. okay. a place to get But there was treatment. documented interest, even, not just from Saudi, but from Qatar and a few other leagues as well over the last... Uh, 12 to 18 months or so. Okay. Uh, well, I guess from now on, from here on in, we will be checking in with these Saudi uh, deadline day situations from... It'll still be between Al-Hilal and Al-Itihad. Uh, al <laughs> It has been for years. Yeah. Did I well, dream... Al-Nasser in the mix now. But did I did I dream... Now. <laughs> did I dream it? I saw something like uh, Mbappe being offered a billion. He... Was he was there, there was a big money offer from I think it was Al Hilal before they went in for Neymar. There was a I think it was a three hundred million uh, pounds bid and wages that would see him earn up to a billion over the span of a year, something along those lines. Um, but it, yeah. It's too early for that guy to retire. <laughs> it really is. That's a good league. It, it was a good league beforehand. It's an even yeah. better league now. Yeah. Al Hilal are the Asian champions. It's a good league. And, and, and I'll just tell you this. I, I, I know everyone's talking about the fresh faces that have entered the league, but honestly, if you want one player to look at, Forget about the fresh faces. There is a Moroccan striker there by the name of Abdul Razak Hamdallah who plays for Al Ittihad. He has been the main man over the last few years. He's ridiculously good. And he's one of those guys that I've just been surprised that why no European clubs have picked him up. But he is a real superstar and he's still scoring goals as well now. Okay. I've got to jump straight ahead now to Euro qualifiers. And before we take the break, we're going to do one uh, group, uh, Group C, which is England's group. And I do this because... Well, you know, we, we do a lot of talk about the England, English Premier League. So they are top of the uh, group at the moment with 12 points, having played four. They're going to be playing Ukraine in Poland um, over the weekend. Uh, also in the group, Italy on, on three points. But they they do have two games in hand. There's North Macedonia and Malta. Italy about to play North Macedonia. I asked the question of Asran the other day. I'm going to ask it of you now, Kish. Italy. Italy. Could they fail to qualify again? I mean, that's obviously the fear um, within the Italian camp. Uh, I, I don't know what to say about this. Yes, obviously, there's still time. They can still turn around things. Um, I like uh, Spalletti a lot with, for the work that he has done with Napoli last year. Uh, but more importantly, within the team, I think there is a changing of, of guards at the moment. You know, the old faces are slowly being phased out and, you know, bright young talents being introduced. Wilfred Nonto of Leeds, uh, he's really exciting. But the one that excites me the most um, is the player with... Ar- uh, his, he was born and raised completely in Argentina but has Italian blood, uh, Matteo Retegui. Um, he's part of the squad. He's now playing his football in Serie A with Genoa as well. So he seems pretty exciting up front. I'm, I'm not ruling them out yet. I think they're still in with... But they don't scare you anymore, chance. do they? They, they don't as no. much, yeah. yeah. I think much. this game against North Macedonia, I know they were shocked the last time around yeah. during qualifying by the same team. So that game, if they can manage to steer through North Macedonia, they should be the ones with England to qualify. Ah, that's a big call. Yeah, well, I, you know, I've, I've, I've left no time at all. So we, I'm going to do England. We will do England when we come back in a moment from a short break here on uh, Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And we're back with me, Cam, and Des, and Keish, and Asran. And now let's, let's, let's do England, for goodness sakes. <laughs> we have to. I want to. So, um, England, Asran, uh, it's all about, has Gareth Southgate evolved? Has he been 
taking the handbrake off. But, I mean, they qualify. Are we, they always do. Should we expect any excitement out of them? Yeah, I think somehow the momentum or the excitement is getting less and less. So people are questioning his selections, of course. The fact that he selected both Calvin Phillips as well as Harry Maguire, even though up until last weekend they didn't have a single minute of league football to them, sort of surprised a lot of people. Uh, obviously, over the weekend they did play a combined, what, 30 minutes between two of them, including, I would say, a bit of a, if I can put it, a horror show from um, uh, Harry Maguire. But yet again, I think he's kept to his trusted players. Uh, the thing about England is they always do well. So recently, especially Southgate has got an impeccable record when it comes to qualifying. So it's you can see that. And I still continue to believe that he will. There's games against Ukraine um, in Poland. I think they will still go through. Uh, even though he knows how to play his particular brand of football, he knows the players that will be able to execute that particular brand of football. And that's how he's done it. Obviously, people are complaining why James Watt-Prowse isn't selected and whatnot, and why is Trent Alexander-Arnold selected as a midfielder, even though he's essentially a defender for Liverpool. So these are all the questions that people are asking, because I think the excitement is a bit lost. Uh, I think probably the only thing that can save him is definitely winning uh, a trophy uh, in one of the major championships. Yeah. Well, we, we'll come back to England over the weeks and months to come as, as they continue their inexorable journey to winning the Euros um, next time around. No, no one's no one's with me. On they'll this be one. they'll be competitive. <laughs> yeah. I, I've got to pick up on Hajran. What did Harry K, uh, Harry Maguire do wrong against? Yeah, I, I was about to ask that. What the heck did no. he? This is one of the agendas that <laughs> I, is, is yeah, picked up by yeah. somewhere, and it permeates around the world. What he did, he did do? absolutely nothing wrong. When, it was Johnny Evans on. who fluffed it, not True. Harry Maguire. True. Okay, yeah. and Johnny yeah. Evans was held off for one goal, and, and he's one yeah. against two for the second. Yeah. So, so they you did can't pick up those agendas, Hajran. I wouldn't. Okay, I'll correct myself. I just think he's a horrible player. Stand up yourself, Hajran. Okay, that's that, that's okay. That's, all right, that's right? something. No, it, it's yeah, an opinion, but it's it's, it's, it's a. Yeah, okay. but I don't think he deserves to be called up for England. I mean, I think who's better? I, who's a better English centre back? Oh, that's a good question. Silence. Uh, I Silence. don't. Dead air is not good I, on radio. I, no one can think of anything. I mean, if you go through the list, I think there are informed centre backs. Uh, like my pet peeve with with the Harry Maguire inclusion. And by the way, I'm, I I hate the agenda against him, but I do acknowledge that he has been suffering from a confidence crisis over the last 12 months because or so. Because there's an agenda against him. But <laughs> so, multiple times, he was called up ahead of Fikayo Tomori at AC Milan, who was absolutely brilliant f- for the last, what, 24 months or so since he moved there. So that's part of the problem that I have with Gareth Southgate is that I don't mind them being called up. But sometimes it comes at the expense of players which is doing really, really well at club level. All right. Okay, I'm going to jump to Group B. Group B is France uh, on the top at the moment and on 15, Netherlands on six, Greece on six, Republic of Ireland, mm, three, and Gibraltar, plucky Gibraltar, on nil. So, uh, France, uh, Des, uh, European champions? <laughs> uh, again, very competitive, but looking good. They're, they're rebuilding. Tremaine's goal yesterday against uh, mm. Republic of Ireland was was, was top draw. Mm. Any team with Mbappe will be a constant threat. Griezmann is still producing the goods, and uh, don't know, he's reinvented himself just before the last World Cup. Mm. Uh, Griezmann, and he's carried on that that form. Defensively, they look good. I like Maignan in goal. I think he's mm. really, really strong, uh, commanding. So all the building blocks are there for France, and they they have this depth of talent that they can just keep on on. Court. <laughs> 
bowling. Uh, and they're young, huh? All of them are young. So yeah, you've got the Hernandez easy. brothers. I mean, Theo Hernandez is a different level attacking fullback altogether. Mm-hmm. And Lucas Hernandez, is, is, as long as he's fit, obviously he was unlucky to be injured during the World Cup, but yeah. he's he's got the experience. They've got the experience. They've got the top level because they all play for big clubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I Honestly, personally, I think they've got the world at their feet at this point of time. Remember us having this conversation uh, on Monday about... Uh, which leagues we really enjoy watching mm. besides. Mm. And one of the reasons we had a conversation about League A is because it's just one of those leagues that never shies away from giving young players opportunity to feature week in, week out. And that's where a lot of these young French boys get their you know baptism of fire. Kefren Turam in midfield, Marcus Turam up front. You look at the Bundesliga as well, where some of the brightest young players all came from the French League. And that's forming this you know unlimited supply of young talents coming through the system the French national team. Uh, and the, the, that same story used to happen for the Dutch. But it's that supply seems to be drying up. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen those great superstars of it, yesteryear. The Dutch are still competitive. Um, competitive? I remember they're a small, small nation. They're yeah. a tiny nation. For, they, they've massively overachieved. They're, so they're, so they're if, you're thinking, if you're thinking the Cruyff, the Cruyff <laughs> yeah. era, 74, 78, they made the World Cup final yeah. not long well, ago. Camps and they'll, be, they'll be competitive. Cody Gapko scored again. He's, he's part of a, a new breed of players. They, yeah. they, they'll mean, be competitive. One of the most exciting young players in world football right now is Dutch, Javi Simmons, mm. who plays for RB Leipzig and he's really ridiculously good in the start of the Bundesliga season so far. So the talent is there. Yeah, but I think about the Eredivisie, I don't think there's a lot of investment that's being put in the Eredivisie at this point of time so I probably compared to the French League at least mm. you've got a major investor in PSG and that's uh, a lot of I mean that sort of builds TV revenue and everything else mm. uh, in the Eredivisie unfortunately that money is all gone uh, they are really up to developing their talents through the academy and selling shipping them it would off. be interesting to see an Ajax get a, the kind of money that um, Paris Saint-Germain got because yeah. I think they'd use it better they'd use it in a football manner rather than in a marketing yeah. manner as PSG yeah. did Correct. it's a shame though now because Ajax now is sort of has to buy players because most of the really exciting young players left. they get sold so they are up to buying sort of second level European players now right so England will meet either the Dutch or the French in the semi-finals because (laughs) (laughs) because in the final it looks like group A they will meet Scotland who are presently the top of group A on 12 points Uh, admittedly they've um the, uh, Spain are on three points way down the bottom, but they got two games in hand. Mm. So my maths is such that I think that they would actually be equal with Scotland uh, if they did win their matches. Uh, l- but let's talk about Spain, shall we? Uh, mm. So the S- Spanish women's team obviously just won the, the Women's World Cup. But um, Spain is... I mean, people always talk about transi- transitional periods. Mm. Uh, as around Spain, uh, where, where are they at these days? Ooh, la, la. Um, <laughs> That's if we're talking about France. <laughs> <laughs> talking about Spain, I think they've sort of, you saw that they were underwhelming in the past two major championships. Uh, the transition is taking a bit long from that Barcelona, that Barcelona, Real Madrid led Spanish teams. Um, yeah, but looking at the group, uh, with the exception of Georgia, um, who might bring out a surprise here and there. Because obviously Georgia has got some great talents here and there. Mm. Besides Maradona, they've got a couple more good midfielders. The goalkeeper, Valencia. The goalkeeper is a good, his good goalkeeper who just got signed with yeah. Valencia. So uh, maybe Georgia is a team that can spring a couple of surprises. So starting from this Saturday where Georgia plays Spain in uh, Tbilisi. Mm. Okay. And Des, Scotland. High-flying Scotland. 
And if they um, get a victory over Cyprus, which is a possibility, they'll be five out of five. And that and would be enough, wouldn't that's it? That's well on the way to, to, to getting, getting there. They're, they're a decent team. Uh, the manager has put together a group of unremarkable players mm. and made them a cohesive unit. Um, Steve Clark has, has done a terrific job yeah. um, because they don't have superstars, but he, everybody seems to know what they're meant to do in that group. Whether they play yeah. three at the back, which they have done a lot, or four at the back. Um, they've got somebody in McGinn who loves playing for Scotland mm. and Robertson. They just love playing for Scotland. Those uh, up, up front who shouldn't be anywhere in an in international <laughs> game, they work their socks off. It, it's, um, it's, it's proper underdog stuff, this from Scotland. It, it, it's the only team in which McTominay has made sense. And that says a lot about the manager because everywhere across the park for Man United, he's always struggled to build a home for himself in midfield. But the role that's been given to him, almost like that on-rushing late runner into the box, he's scoring goals, he's, he's playing with a lot of confidence for Scotland. He looks, it's really, really exciting. And what I like about the Scotland team is normally the good Scotland teams were made up of the old firm players, either from Celtic or Rangers. This one, when Rangers and Celtic both are sort of struggling in the continental sort of arena, because they've got a lot of imports as well, uh, both Rangers and Celtic. Uh, these are made up of players from various different clubs and they all sort of pull for their shirt for Scotland. Scotland and that's shown in their four previous wins. But this is Scotland. It'll be heroic failure. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to they're gonna pluck defeat from the jaws um, of victory. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I, I'm sorry, but it, it, yeah, it does seem to have a lot like of that. English bias in this show. <gasps> no, no. I mean, it's history. <laughs> There's an agenda against Scotland now. <laughs> There's no, an agenda. No agenda. That seems to be the word. The, the agenda is history. Um, I'm struggling here to find a group uh, that would be interesting to talk about. So, Keish, I'm going to try this one here. Group F, which has Austria on the top. Mm. Um, Belgium, they're three points behind with the game in hand. Uh, but Sweden, way behind them in third. And then there's Estonia and Azerbaijan after that. Uh, uh, this seems to be the team of uh, classic failures. Belgium, uh, mm. who... I mean, golden generations, etc. Yeah, it's, it's gone. It's it's that those days have passed. Um, we talk about transitions. Uh, Belgium are the, are the team in transition at the moment. Um, there is a couple of really young, exciting players. Uh, Jeremy Doku is one uh, who, and I hope he is given more of a consistent run in the in the national team as well. I like him a lot, uh, but I think that, that there's a lot of work to be done. I like Austria. Austria have always been. And a 7 out of 10 team in every single game they play. It's just one of those teams. It's not the the, the biggest, flashiest. They're very functional. They're rigid. They, they get the job done. Uh, and they've got Ralph Ragnick, who's done a pretty decent job. Uh, and, and I'm a fan of Marcel Sabitz. I, I, was, I was hoping to see him do better at Man United. But uh, he always does well for the Austrian national team as well. So David Alaba, Marcel Sabitz, it's a really good team. And it's no surprise that they're topping the group. So they're going to be... Uh are they going to be a surprise package? Austria? Yeah. I mean, they always go into tournaments being touted as one, but it always never works out for them in the context of the tournament. Uh, but I hope they, they, they do much better. I think they will definitely qualify out of this group. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Des, take you over to Group D. Turkey, Armenia, Croatia, Wales, Latvia. I mean, th in that order, Turkey, who have who have Scotlanded themselves in the past. Um 
they're doing very well. Uh, but I want to ask you, actually, about Wales. Yes, yes. I always have a soft spot for Wales. I spent uh, <laughs> 10 years, early part of my education was there. Some of my football was there. A couple of my houses were there. Lots of girlfriends were there. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I left. Um, fabulous. But the, I think the, 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 the golden team has gone. Robert Page, has, um, he's trying to... He's trying to do a Scotland. He's trying to make ordinary players with Aaron Ramsey at the, at the, as the key of things into a decent team. But they overachieved massively. Yeah. What they did in Russia, what they did in the Euros, um, massively, massively overachieved. And that sadly has set expectation levels very, very high. They were involved in a nil-nil draw with South Korea the other night. Only 13,000 um, at uh, Cardiff Stadium. That tells you that the, the public are also thinking, mm, yeah, the mm. great days uh, that we've had so recently have gone. And I can't see where their goals are going to come from. If you're relying on a big boot up front to keep for more, it's it's not going to work against any kind of sophistication. So I I fear for Wales very much. Uh, there, where are in the group? There, they've got one win, two defeats already. It'll be very tough for them to get out because Croatia will come good. Turkey, as you say, have, have, have got a decent team, but Wales. I hope I'm wrong. I mm. really hope I'm wrong. But uh, I fear that it's going to be a long time before we see another decent Wales side. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Azran, Croatia. I mean, they're 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 always there or thereabouts. Um, <laughs> remarkable. You're talking about the Dutch being a small country. Croatia is a really small country. It's population way smaller than the Klang Valley, um, and yet they somehow seem to be able to keep producing people. And Modric, who's now 103, uh-huh. <laughs> keeps going. Yeah, I think people were saying, uh, together with Belgium, uh, the golden generation of Croatian players have sort of passed, but they've. They look as if they are um, adapting to it or, or overcoming that or that changing of the guard pretty well. Um, obviously, they are third at this point of time with the game in hand. Uh, they have two games coming up uh, against Latvia as well as Armenia. Both are winnable games. And if they win both, they'll be up there. So, And I do expect them to be up there. A lot of good talent playing across the various leagues. Mm-hmm. It, obviously, the, because of... Where they are, uh, previously a lot of their players used to play in the Serie A, but now you see a lot of their players playing everywhere around the whole big league. So, um, again, even though people were talking about the the passing of the guard or the, the transition period, uh, but again, I do still see them, um, even, in fact, challenging Turkey for the top spot at the yeah. end of the I, end of I, I once asked uh, Boyan, uh, Boyan Hoda, uh, mm. why he thought, because he's Croatian, obviously, why he thought Croatia was so good at football. And he said that um, Croatians love and dedicate themselves to team sports. Mm. Um, and I said, well, okay, well, that, that, I mean, that doesn't everybody? No, no, but he said, no, the team. People like, like to operate in a team and enjoy ah. that and work towards that. I thought that was always the key for Modric. Everybody said, oh, what a brilliant individual. I just thought he dovetailed teams yeah. together. Yeah. He played simple passes. Yeah. He did what was required, defensive sometimes, going forward sometimes. And Modric was great. And I just looked at my notes. He is 103. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but when you think about it, uh, when you take that into consideration, what, what Boyan said, it, it makes a lot of sense. Because when was the last time you looked at Croatia producing... A, a superstar. A, a yeah. individualistic Correct. player. player. Yeah. No, I mean, the, some of their best players over the last decade or so have all been a functional part of a team and they make the team better, whether it's Modric, whether it's Kovacic, whether it's Perisic, whether it's even Rakitic. Every single one of them just brought the entire team together and they functioned as a unit. They stand alone, they were not spectacular yep. per se, but they all 
you know, were absolutely sensational in a team. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad I was able to bring something yeah, to, to the <laughs> discussion for once. Because thinking about team sports, I've always thought they were like, what, water polo, water polo, right? yeah. But there was that tennis player, I've forgotten his name now. Uh, he won Wimbledon. Goran Ivanovic. Yeah, so he, I mean, he's uh, an individual player. So, I mean, they, they do have individuals. Hey, um, I want to take you to no, uh, Group J. Kish, Group J, mm. Portugal. Slovakia, Luxembourg, uh, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Iceland, Liechtenstein. Now, uh, Portugal running away with it. Yeah. That young man, Cristiano Ronaldo, <laughs> somebody, I can't remember who it was, yeah. said, was it you, Asran, said that he was going to be given a testimony. It was you, wasn't it? Was it? Me, it was me. It was you, Asran. You now, said yeah. ages ago he'd be given a testimonial international and then that'd be that. He's still there. Still there. Um, it's... It's crazy uh, at the rate at which he's scoring. I, I mean, there is an argument to be made um, about this Portugal side uh, fully um, getting out their, their absolute quality without Ronaldo. I think, like, for example, there are certain talents in there that I feel would benefit from not having Ronaldo up front, like João Felix, who, you know, loves to be a free-roaming player. But when you have João Felix, you can't have two luxury players in a team. You know, you got to give that luxury to Ronaldo and make sure everyone else doubles up so that he can score those big goals. But it's not an argument against Ronaldo because he's still delivering the goods, whether it's in the Saudi Pro League or whether it's for the national team. And I think at this point, as far as Roberto Martinez is concerned, I think if you remove Ronaldo out of the team, it's a huge pressure on your shoulders as well. So he's going to play Ronaldo. And as long as it's working for them in the qualifiers, it is. But as long as it's working for them, then it's it's great. But there needs to be a discussion at some point um, as to how you bring out the best in some of the other players, uh, like whether it's Felix, whether it's Bernardo Silva, whether it's Bruno Fernandes as well. Rafa Leao. Rafa Leao as well, yeah. yeah. I would have to take that back because Ronaldo uh, has taken care of himself really, really well. So moving to Saudi Arabian League, probably was a blessing in disguise for him because mm. that put a bit less pressure on him physically and mentally. And uh, he's able to still deliver for, for Portugal. I mean, I would really, I'm really shocked that he's, what, 101 now? Oh. <laughs> no, actually, he's, he is older than Modric. He's, th- he's 38. Yeah, just look at this. I didn't realise he had 200 international caps. Yes. Two, gee whiz, that's incredible. Yeah. 123 goals, just phenomenal. What's, what an athlete. What surprises me, though, is, is Roberto Martinez. I, su- I swear, he could fail with Portugal and then he'll get the France job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bit I, harsh. I got, I'm gonna, Des, I'm going to give you a couple of one half a minute, Germany. Okay. Mm. Half a minute on Germany seems yeah, unfair. Well. Is it? Where are they now? Struggling. I mean, they'll be, be hosting, so yeah. they've got an opportunity to get themselves back and um, domestically any I mean Bayern will be the, the basis around um, uh, everything they do but they haven't got a natural goal scorer the fact mm. that Harry Kane has got to go to Bayern Munich I know mm. they had Lewandowski um, they'll be competitive um, you've got me cold I haven't done a lot of research yeah. on them because, that, because they're because not on the list you're but saying, they will so. be they will be competitive because this is Germany and they're at home and they've their, their club sides are competitive but if I don't know whether they've got that X factor anymore I don't know who their their next mother is I don't know who their, their great wingers uh, Gnabry is good but he's not going to be your yeah. top class yeah. striker yeah. is he so um, competitive semi-finals but um, um, to so, beat England on, on, on penalties in the semi-finals <laughs> <laughs> where have we seen that one okay um, a shudder of fear when you said that Des so uh, we, we're going to move on and in a moment we're going to come back and we're going to talk Malaysia football here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9 
More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Wow, very appropriate patriotic song there because we're going straight into Malaysian football here on Just for Kicks with me uh, and Des Korkil and Kishnan Sundaresan and Azran Rosain. And so we start with the, uh, the national game. We're going to talk about the national team. They're involved in many different competitions, and I'm very confused by all these different competitions. But uh, there was a 2-2 draw against Syria, and the three of you were coming in very excited, saying how well they played. Uh, let's start uh, with, first of all, let's, let's get a sense of all the different competitions. Des, what are the different competitions? Okay, so they're on a tour of China at the moment where they played Syria in neutral China and they've got a game against China tomorrow on Astro Arena, live, 7 o'clock, English commentary. Oh, who's that? <laughs> <laughs> as well as, well as um, Malay. So, um, and then that, that's kind of a build-up. Um, it's all a build-up towards the Asian Cup next January where Malaysia are in a group with Jordan, Bahrain and South Korea. Mm. So all of this is a build-up. Um, so after that, they've then got the Merdeka tournament where they're playing India in the first games and then the winner of the match between Tajikistan and Palestine. That's in October, also on Astro Arena with English commentary mm -hmm. available. <laughs> then they go into World Cup and Asia Cup qualifiers. They're both the same. They're all knotted together, the qualifiers. And there's a game likely against uh, Chinese Taipei. And who's the other? Um, Kyrgyzstan, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, I, I can't Kyrgyzstan. remember the other one. That's in December. Mm. And then they have a couple of friendlies in January against Saudi Arabia and Oman mm. while they're in Qatar for the Asian Cup. So these are month on month on month, a progression of build-up towards the Asian Cup yeah. where Malaysia have qualified for the first time legitimately uh, since when? Ever. Uh, ever, yeah. yeah. Well, and Malaysia... I've got a genuine chance, I think all three mm. of us think this, of getting out the group and making it to the knockout stage. Which would require winning against South Korea? No, it would require coming in the top two in the four-team group. So mm. it would need a win against either Jordan or Bahrain yeah. or uh, four points out of that. Yep. And I wouldn't think it's against... After what we saw the other day and what we're seeing, it's not against uh, the realms of possibility. There's um, yeah. a, a result okay. against Korea. All right, so Keish... Uh, Malaysia 2, Syria 2. Mm. This is, um, you felt that, that Malaysia could have won this one. Yeah, this was a really, really encouraging performance. Uh, when I, I, when the first half started and I looked at, we were watching Malaysia shape, it, it, we were getting bypassed relatively easily in midfield. Um, there was, we didn't have a recognisable number six. Brendan Gunn was given that task of tucking into defence every now and then and being that holding midfield. Slightly different to what he usually does at Selangor. Uh, and, there were two mistakes. Um, there was two goals conceded, and Malaysia looked like this could end up being a frustrating night. Uh, I think everyone. But Malaysia was, had played well going forward. Malaysia had created opportunities. I, not as nowhere close to how we played in the second half. The first half was nowhere. It was a. I hate to use this phrase, but it was a classic tale of two halves. Nowhere close because the second half, when some of the changes were made. Malaysia went back to a back three that gave them a bit more protection at the back, allowed some of the other players who are a bit more adventurous to push forward, whether it was Dion Cools, whether it was Sharul Nazim, and Darren Locke coming in late on, Akia Rashid being brought on, completely changed the game as well. So the changes, the, the, the shift in shape was really encouraging because 
it wasn't just uh, an example of how Malaysia could play, but it was also an indication that Kim Pan Gon is a really good problem solver. Mm. And we need that because at the highest level of Asian football, you need to be able to solve problems in the middle of the game, which is something Malaysia have not traditionally done very well in the past, but they're starting to do that now. And that, for me, was the best part about this game. The fact that we had a setback, we figured things out, and we eventually solved the problem. If the game had an extra five to ten minutes... I wouldn't even rule as we could have won the game 3-2. And what I really like about that is the fact that I think we've got a solid squad at this point of time. Mm. Previously, in all our previous X number of years following Malaysia, we had a bunch of probably 10 to 11 solid or 14 solid players and that's about it. So we never saw or the coach never had the ability to change the game through substitutions. I mean, people were questioning at the start when Kim Pangon was calling up different people, giving, giving caps really away. But you could see the the fruit of that labour now, where all these players have the, not just the talent, but the experience to perform at the highest level. And you could see the, the, the substitutions that came on, even Sapawi Rashid as a substitute, yeah. that goal was yeah. really created by him. Mm. What a turn by the side. It looked as if it was a mistake already, but he turned, gave it a shot and uh, well finished. And Des, do you think that the, the manager is the, the man at the moment? The, the good... He's doing a terrific job because Keish put his finger on it. Absolutely. There was a change in tactics um, there was also Malaysia didn't step back they didn't go into their shell when they mm. were 2-0 down yeah. which traditionally I think we've seen Malaysia pushed forward and they they were brave enough to gamble a possibly going 3-0 down and Shahin had to make a very good save at 2-0 but they went forward and they created chances when Akia scored the goal you suddenly thought that Malaysia would have a chance this is against the Syria side who are very good they were a whisker away from the 2018 World Cup finals. Yeah. They are rebuilding. They didn't have uh, Omar Kerbin up front, who's a, a beast of a, of a striker. <laughs> but they're a very competent side. And, and Malaysia were very much the, the better team. The other thing I like about Kim Pangon, he has a plan. His front three will change. He'll give his front three an hour, mm. and then he'll bring on three very, very good players. So the second three had coming on were Darren Locke, Safaya Rashid, and Akia, Akia Rashid. And in the first half, you had Fazal Halim, you've got uh, Ari, Arif Ayman, who was yeah. relatively quiet, yeah. and uh, Paolo Jazue, who's reveling it in as, as a centre forward at mm. the moment. So, um, yeah, lots, lots, and lots, and lots to be very cheerful about. But let's see what happens against China tomorrow. We could have a very different phrase on, yeah, on Monday. Yeah. But can I just ask? So uh, the JDT players are involved in all of these different international um, journeys. Yes, yes, uh, and their own domestic and the under twenty threes as well. So JDT are very, very important to the success of Malaysian football. Okay, um, Kishna, very quickly, uh, the AFC under twenty threes beat Bangladesh two 0 uh, 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 Their second uh, in. I'm not quite sure what the situation is there, but are we seeing a young crop that's coming up that is... Uh... There is some encouraging names in there. Um, obviously, the, in terms of pl- playing style, there is a gap between how the under-23 boys play versus how the senior squad plays. But there's some really encouraging names in the under-23 team that would easily walk into the senior team as we speak. Some of them already have. Mukari Ajmal, for example. Ruven Tiran did really well at the Mitsubishi Electric Cup. Uh, there's Harith Haikal, who's been phenomenal for Slango in recent games. Uh, but the man at the moment is Fergus Tierney, a Scottish-Malaysian striker who's pulling the goods for, for Malaysia up front. He's got uh, the goals against uh, Bangladesh the other day, and he'll be the main man again. Uh, there's also Daryl Sham, who's doing really well uh, for JDT's uh, uh, second team as well. So 
There are some encouraging names in there. Um, Saravanan, another one. I could keep throwing names for that matter. But uh, I think what fans are a bit disappointed by is that Ella Varasin is a bit more uh, conservative. He does not, like what Des mentioned, when you go down or, or when you go into a game, you just you know, relentlessly attack and try to be proactive. Malaysia under 23 have sometimes been guilty of just sitting back a bit too much and that can be frustrating to watch. This is the qualifying group for the AFC under 23 championship. Mm. So again, Malaysia have got a chance. The the group winner goes through. Second place team has an opportunity to go through to the under 23 championships next year. Well, Mm. it's a hectic international uh, calendar there. Um, I'm going to come back in a moment and I just want to carry the last few little bits of uh, international stuff before we get into club football here on uh, Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to part four with me, Des, Kishnan and uh, Azran. And now Azran. See, uh, b- before we carry on and talk about club football and J- JDT, etc., I, w- I want to be a bit... <laughs> See, yeah, a culture. A bit of culture. <laughs> I, I need a bit of context <laughs> because I, you know, I, I, all three of us, you know, we know the English game, mm. the the European game. And I, Azran, you watched both. And I want to, actually, I've, I've read match reports on football from the 1890s. I'm toying with the idea <laughs> of writing a history of the very early history of Malaysian football. And um, Azran, the game that, you you watch the Malaysian game. Is that is that a child of the British game, or is it its own beast? The way the, the way that the teams are set up, the way that they play. Mm. Do, do you? I mean, I asked this one of Des earlier mm. before. Des, do you do you do you recognise it? Uh, no, I've got a completely different answer. I kind of ignore the question. I can I throw it back to us and I'll give you my context afterwards, if I may, or do you want my context now? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, my context now is one of the frustrations I've had with Malaysian football and Southeast Asian football is the lack of depth, the lack of communities who spawn a football club and that football club gets bigger. That's what really happened in in the West and in Europe and in Britain. And in South America. And and in South America. A football club would would grow organically, would become popular, would get fans, and they would then join the league. There isn't that depth in Malaysia. There was this debate on on social media recently where a lot of hardcore members of the Ultras Malaya and generally ardent Malaysian fans whom I've got all the respect in the world for, but they were coming on and saying stuff like, oh, you know, Malaysians prefer to support English Premier League clubs and support your your own local team. Why don't you go and support your own local team? There but, are no local teams. No, but, but that's my point, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. A person, a person who lives in Slim River, for example, his closest team is Perak, which is what, an hour and a half away? And how do you build that community association? And my biggest problem with trying to encourage people to watch local football is that it's almost always... cloaked in sarcasm and demand and expectation instead of trying to see what the club can do for the fans, what the club can offer for the fans, what the club can do for the community. It's it's, I, I don't want to go on because this conversation will, will take days to complete, but <laughs> the very structure in itself mm. has an issue. Yeah. Um, well, Azra, yeah. you, you yeah. are so, a football fan. True. I, I sort of understand where both uh, Kish and Des are coming from. I've been mulling about your question a bit, whether it has its British influence. I would say yes and no. I think especially now with Kim Bangon taking the helm, it's a, it's a combination of different elements. But maybe I'll, I'll talk about the positives. I really think, really, people are talking about the fact that JDT has created 
a monster of a team over here that's monopolizing the local game. But personally, for me, I think they've set the bar uh, where I like it to be. And hopefully we'll see more teams investing in resources and growing organically, for example, uh, as what they said, to build or to create this excitement. Because back then when growing up, obviously Joho FA had their fans, but they didn't have the team that they had yet now. Uh, I mean, the biggest fan base when we talked about before was Selangor. Uh, Selangor would fill any stadium any day. Stadium Merdeka, Stadium Shalam, whatever you call it. Now, even the MPBJ Stadium is half empty, unfortunately for them. So for me, the good thing about JDT is they've created this team. And I think Malaysia's success also has, they have contributed towards that because they've created a sense of winning mentality for the players. I'm sure they've got like 80% of the Malaysian squad. But uh, I think at the same time, they've developed the players and, and they've pass the players on if I can put it when they yeah. no longer but, are at the top level they pass the players on but can I just very quickly mention that JDT who have done exceptionally well from a footballing point of view and have done all the right things in terms of putting out a strong team to compete on the continental front even they struggle to pack out their stadiums week in week out yeah. which goes to the very really? point oh, that, I that, they were, I that the root of the problem is that the, the culture is not there yeah. And yep. instead of addressing that, all the teams do, all that they do, and we're not saying it's right or wrong, I'm just saying that it's unfortunate because all that, all the Malaysian teams, all they focus on is building the team without so much thinking about the culture, the community, and building that sense of belonging. There should be a Slim River FC playing in front of 200, 200 yeah. people. There should. I, in, in a league where if they do well, they have got a chance to get promotion of the leagues. There's an M, M3 and an M4, but it's... it's it's all made up of teams that names that don't even make sense. Yeah, you know, yeah. because uh, I were the kind of the team that I kind of support when I grew up in England is Tunbridge Wells. Tunbridge Wells Precisely. FC. Mm. And it's in the ninth, tenth tier of mm. uh, English football. And it has regularly about 500 fans turn up. And it is a fully professional squad. And those leagues are chartered. They're reported upon. You know where you can get the access. You can get information. If there was a Slim River FC, I wouldn't know where to go. Even the AFL, I don't know where they play, who they are, who they represent. Um, but the thing is this, as mentioned by Cam just now, it's professionally run, even at the 9th, 10th level. Unfortunately mm. for us, even in the Malaysian Super League, let's be honest, how many clubs are actually professionally run? I mean, all of them have got issues. You've heard about players not being paid on time. How, and, and, it's a vicious cycle. And this. that is why you need a salary cap. <laughs> that is why well, I'm not even going to get into that, but you need a salary okay. cap. I'll never stop saying that. But finance has got to come from the bottom up, not from government down. Right, it's so got to be self-generating. No alcohol, no, no clubs allowed in this part of the world to generate that income. No betting allowed. That's where a lot of the clubs in, in the West get their money from. Mm. It, it is a problem. I understand well, that problem. I, I know. I know. I know. One final question then is, is this actually as, is it as big and as good as it can possibly get? Is there a, a groundswell of interest in, in football in this country? Is is there? I think succeed, uh, success will breed this. Because again, even the Malaysian national team was going through the doldrums until we got good in the AFC Suzuki Cup. That's when Ultras Malaya was established in 07. That created a bit of a buzz. The Ultras Terracine was coming back to the stadiums with all the Cortio and chants and everything else around the circle of 08 to 2013, 2014. But then the Malaysian national team had a bit of a dip again and fans shied away once again. Oh yeah, the useless fans like me. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm typical. We know kind of the we stadiums used to be full, filled. I remember the semi-pro days where it used to be full, it used to be excellent atmosphere and then the whole major corruption scandal came about. I think mm. that was in 92, 93. Fans shied away. Since it's 30 then. years ago now. We, yeah. we, that's a long time. A long time ago. Has it gone? 
I mean, I mean, not, I mean, not is there corruption, but what I mean is that the spectre of that is the stain of yeah. that still. Because let's say if you go on the street to a random, let's go, we're in Selangor or KL now. Uh, do they know the Selangor team where they are playing? I can bet you nine out of ten people would say, I, don't, I have no clue where Selangor is playing. They're live on television. Like, you can't, you can't yeah. blame the TV companies. I, yeah. I, I've got a bet. Stadium, some obviously. stadiums are too big. I absolutely agree. No, yeah, absolutely. That I agree. agree. It's the culture. It's also as much as I love what JDT have done for Malaysian football. I think having one team dominate the league for ten years also pushes crowds away. It's as simple as that. A competitive league breeds it works attention. in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and it's, it's not JDT because Germany is rooted in community, it is, which yeah. we don't have yeah. here. It is. It is. Yes. Um, okay, so let's be, let's talk about the most successful and popular <laughs> team mm. in the country, uh, Des JDT. They're on a journey. What is, what journey are they on? Well, they they are a real feel good factor team. They they missed out the hundred <coughs> percent opportunity as we discussed by drawing in a thrilling game with Kenya. Yeah. But they they need one point to secure a tenth, eleventh league title in yeah. a row. For JDT, they're also in the quarterfinals of the Malaysia Cup, where they take on Negri Sembilan in a, a two um, a two legged fixture. Uh, so they they're chasing a treble of Malaysia FA Cup League and uh, Malaysia Cup. But most excitingly, they're in the AFC Champions League, where they're in a group um, fourteen group. Top two teams go through. They're against BG Patam United from Thailand, uh, Olsen Hyundai and um, Kawasaki, Kawasaki, Kawasaki Frontale, Frontale, both of whom they played and beat last year. Um, so there's a very, very good chance that this Johor team, who are better than last year, can get out of the group stages and into the knockout stages. And, and when, when are these uh, matches So coming? these are over the next three months. Yeah. So the first game is on September the 19th in Johor, and then the last game is at home to BG Patim United December the 12th. So every couple of weeks. It's like, the, it's like the European Champions League, the calendar, home and away. Six games in the group stage. Yeah. And Keish, what, what do you think? Uh, what's the highest they've ever? What's they, they made stages. the knockout stages knockout. last, year. 16, last, last year. year? The only yeah. team ever from Malaysia to, to be able to do that. And could they uh, yes. go past beyond? They, they could, but I, I'd say that this year you, they've got to be a bit more careful because last year the games were played in a centralized venue, Johor. and all of them were played <laughs> in Johor. So JT had home advantage for all their games, and. Uh, that allowed them to get a couple of really historic victories. But this time around, they're going to be travelling home and away. Um, and JDT, away from home in the Champions League, in Japan and Korea, they've not had a really great record. They, you know, they, they've, they, they got smashed by Urawa Reds. There was a defeat to, to uh, Gamba Osaka years ago. So I think that's the big challenge. This How do you go so with it? Definitely, I agree. I definitely agree. And I want them to... Um, but it's a question of the away games will, will be the defining ones. Asran, I, I want to finish with you. If, let's say, JDT went all the way or went re- had a really good run, what would that mean for Malaysian football? Hopefully more exposure, really, creating this sense of, as I said, success brings, hopefully, fans to the stadium because as what Kish mentioned, even the JDT stadium with all its first-class infrastructure, they can't fill it. Uh, week in, week out. Uh, so hopefully once, as soon as JDT goes all the way, uh, maybe we have great other Asian teams coming, playing in JDT, and that will bring fans and, to the And it would, to, it would uh, create stadium. a splash. I mean, the word would get out. People would be, I mean, obviously, we at... Uh, just no, but I mean, we, but <laughs> from, from a mathematical point of view as well, JDT doing well in the Asian Champions League means Malaysia, Malaysian Super League's rankings in the in the league rankings the in, in Asia, it goes up. And that allows us to get more teams to 
uh, more slots to compete on the continental and stage. Another thing, if you level. don't mind, uh, I would really like to see some of our great players, young players like Arif Ayman, playing in bigger leagues. Really, because what's what's a bigger league? The J League or the Korean League? Right, right. In Asia, at least. And that's the benchmark, Des, isn't it? J League, Korean League. I mean, that these are the uh... at the moment. At the moment, yes. Um, but uh, you, you've got you've got to create a successful domestic league. I always go back to this. You've got to have an infrastructure with with, with depth, a pyramid, a good successful league, uh, and then that will enable players to get out and about as the Thai players are doing. They're getting out and about at the moment. Mm. But it all depends on the success of the league. And so uh, we, we we at BFM will make a commitment to start Slim River Wanderers. <laughs> And uh, I'd love to do that. It'd be great. <laughs> and uh, we look forward to watching them go all the way in mm. about mm, 10 years. Uh, we'll do a Wrexham with that. That would be good. That would be good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So thank you very much. And it only rains now to thank. We have to close off. Um, Asran Rosane. It's a pleasure. And Kishnan Sundaresan. Cheers, guys. Enjoy the game against China. And Des Korkil. Yeah. Uh, good luck against China. It's a, it's a big game. And hopefully I can talk about VAR next week. <laughs> no. And uh, also our producer, Hanif Baharudin, and myself, Cam Raslan. See you next time on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. For more football, tune in Mondays and Fridays at 8pm. Just for kicks on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.